It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show. Brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, end-of-year tax strategies that the Chancellor won't change his mind on, as well as what the Chancellor did change his mind on when clarifying his new tax rules for non-domicile investors. Plus, a new way to profit from falling commodities prices in volatile markets, and some good news and bad news for bank account savers. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form, with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. Hello to you both. Uh, so let's start then with the money news. Uh, this week, uh, private client broker Hargreaves Lansdowne put out a forecast that sales of tax-efficient individual savings accounts, or ISAs, in the next few months would be lower than the sales seen at the same time last year because investors are now wary of uh, falling stock markets. But even if you don't want to buy an equity ISA right now, other advisors are suggesting that there are still some tax-efficient investments worth using. Um, Steve, you're never a man to pay tax and you don't have to. Um, what strategies are being recommended right now? Clearly people are cautious about markets and that is what is driving this caution to take up ISAs if people haven't already or indeed put money into SIPs, you know, SIPs being the new ISAs and so on. Um, but a number of um, brokers and financial experts are suggesting actually just using this as a kind of good housekeeping time and actually indulging in things called slightly oddly bed and sipping bed and icering in specie contributions think of them more as a kind of share exchange mechanisms so you've got shares and other holdings outside you that are currently taxed in your portfolio there are a range of ways of getting them inside whether it's an isa or a sip um, and therefore benefiting from all those tax perks. So th- they call all these strange things because of the because of the old rule called bed and breakfasting. Yeah, where you yeah. where you could sell uh, an investment holding, leave it overnight, so to speak, in a bed and breakfast, well, and buy it back th- the next th- day. About thirty days now on bed and breakfast. Of course, that's changed. You're yes. right. Yes, you, uh, if you sell now, you can't repurchase for thirty days and still qualify for the. Yeah, CGT and, and realise your, yeah. your gain yeah. within your capital gains tax allowance. So because of bed and breakfasting, these things are now called bed and icering or bed and Bed sipping. and icering, exactly. So same principle. You're effectively 
I mean, they, they, they do work in different ways. I mean, conceptually, it is possible in some instances to actually just physically move the asset into the ice, not the ice, actually, technically, into the SIP. Um, and that, could, that makes sense with very illiquid assets where you'd face big spread costs in, in selling and then buying back. But it's, it's sometimes, I, I think in some ways it's easier to think about actually just selling a share outside the the ISA or the SIP and then buying it back inside. Um, and, of course, the big advantage of that is that you're getting all those tax breaks, including, all the, remember, all the upfront pension tax reliefs, without really, in net terms, committing any extra cash, which might suit a lot of people, given what's happening in markets currently and uncertainty and worries about recession and so on. So when do you have to do this in order to make it tax efficient? Well, obviously, there is a certain end of tax year um, impetus to this. Um, It could be a way of taking up an ISA um, before the end of tax year if you haven't already. Um, Don't forget as well the... the, uh, the, There's upfront income tax relief on pensions. Now, while the, the, the contribution rules have been flexed up, so you can now contribute 100% of your earnings up to 200 and some thousand pounds. So clearly most people aren't going to run up against those limits. And, and so in a sense, there's less of a, uh, a tax year end impetus to that, except, of course, if you're changing tax bans. Um, but it's also got the attraction that, um, take an example, you, you've got 1,000 pounds of shares, you, you effectively, one way or another, bed and sipping or in-species contribution, put them into a SIP. That £1,000 is then grossed up within the pension by basic rate tax relief, um, which adds uh, slightly oddly um, £282 there. But then you can claim a further £231 back through your tax return as a higher rate taxpayer. So it's also kind of a way of unlocking cash from pensions as well, um, which might suit some people. Obviously, what you've done is you've, you've shunted a rather bigger holding it into a pension, and that is going to be tied up to retirement in broad terms. But at the same time, you've, you've got the ability to um, reduce your tax bill and indeed, in some cases, get to actually take some cash out. So it's all about making use of all of the reliefs and all of the allowances that are, that are actually there. Um, just, just finally, though, for those investors who are wary about plunging into stock market investments right now, and that's what Hargreaves Lansdowne was saying, could depress the sales of ISAs this year. Um, what about holding cash in an ISA? What, what are the rules there? Well, exactly. It's, 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 it's often not appreciated that a stocks and shares ISA or indeed a SIP or some other pension product doesn't mean putting money in there, whether it's through a bed and SIP, bed and ISA or just putting money in there, doesn't mean you're automatically getting market exposure. It might mean you do need to check the terms and conditions of the particular product you're going into. But something called a self-select ISA should allow you to select cash. So you put your cash in there, whether it's from the sale of an existing holding that you are going to buy back, or indeed just cash um, contribution, um, and hold that cash there. Now, within an ICA, you're not probably going to get the best cash returns. These, remember, are different from true cash ICAs, where you're getting tax-free interest, which are, and, and tax-free interest rates are often better than normal savings rates. Um, brokers 
this is one of the ways that brokers make money. They, they want you to be in stocks and shares, and indeed the revenue does. So, so you'll earn some interest, but it probably won't be very much. You will also pay a 20% tax charge within that as well that will be taken off automatically. But within a SIP, you can, of course, invest in cash and earn, and earn tax-free returns through a money market fund. Um, so you'll get, you'll get sort of more money market-related returns of, you know, whatever it is currently, sort of 5% plus, I would imagine, is, is perfectly possible. Um, but indeed, of course, remember that the whole point about a pension is that this is long-term savings and you're likely to get better long-term returns being exposed to the equity market. So you can do that. You, should, you can have those short-term bolt holes. Of course, you can sell assets as well within NISA and, um, and a pension. And as long as you've got that kind of self-select kind of arrangement, you can hold cash in the short-term, wait till market conditions look a little bit more amenable. Um, and finally, you can put money into both ISAs and SIPs. And again, depending on the self-select, the flexibility of the arrangement, drip feed the money in perhaps automatically some some companies have an auto phasing facility where they literally split the money up and invest it on the same day every month for the next six months others just say fine you choose whatever and so, so you might want to wait till the next market fall put half your money in and then wait for a further fall and put another half of your money in of course then the risk is that you're you're still reliant on your own timing and you might get it completely wrong but uh, these these are some of the ways of just spreading the risk so you can use your ISA, you can use your SIP um, tactically. Uh, Steve, thanks very much indeed. And if you'd like to know more about uh, bed and sipping, or if like me you thought it was something to do with cocoa or Horlicks, you can actually get the, the full lowdown on exactly what it means, how to take advantage of it by reading Steve's article in FT Money, in the Weekend FT, on the 16th and 17th of February, also online at ft.com forward slash money. And you can send in your questions uh, for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, exchange-traded commodities that can profit from falling prices and some good news and bad news on high-interest savings accounts. But first tax changes from non-domiciled investors and holders of offshore trusts. This week, the Chancellor gave a clarification on controversial proposals to charge non-doms an annual tax of £30,000. In what sounded like a climb-down, investors with income and gains made abroad now won't have to disclose it, and gains will not be taxed retrospectively, as had been suggested. So if you've got money offshore, how do these clarified tax rules affect you? Well, to find out, Ellen Kelleher of FT Money telephoned Mike Warburton of Grant Thornton. So, Mike, this week the Treasury seemed to soften its stance on the proposed changes to the taxation of non-DOMs living in this country. How are your clients reacting to that? It is stated to be clarification. Um, It's helpful. It's nice to have clarification. I actually don't think it is clarification. I think it is uh, the government accepting um, that some aspects of their proposals uh, were too extreme and they've pulled back a bit. The aspect that they've changed their view on is what we termed the disclosure. Uh, As you know, people who are currently resident in the UK but not domiciled, not only do they not have to pay tax on their unremitted offshore income and capital gains, that's the gains they make and income they make that they keep outside the country, uh, they've had no need to disclose the sources of any such income or gains. I think when these proposals were announced, the Treasury thought this was a great opportunity to obtain more information about uh, such people's offshore assets. 
and that was a part of the proposal and that's the bit that they've pulled back from and, and that's very welcome I don't believe that that in itself is sufficient to stem the, the tide of people who are considering uh, moving out of the UK. So it's a step in the right direction, but it's certainly not far enough. So can you just list the changes that the Treasury proposed this week? They say that the remittance basis will... Uh, those choosing the remittance basis will not be required to make this a disclosure of the offshore assets. That's very helpful. That was a great concern to a number of the, the wealthiest people. Um, the point about offshore trusts, the proposals which I believe has really stirred up the problem in the last couple of weeks is that when the draft legislation was released, it was absolutely clear from that that the Treasury were keen to clamp down on the use of offshore trusts and in fact, in, in a pretty draconian way, what they've said in this letter is that there will be no retrospection. In other words, gains made before the cutoff on the 5th of April uh, will, will be clean, as under the current rules. The third aspect that they mentioned, which is the payment of the £30,000 levy, as you know, the Chancellor announced that you could continue to use the remittance basis for income and gains, i.e. only pay tax on remittances, if you were prepared to pay a £30,000 levy. And I believe a lot of people were concerned that in order to pay the levy, you'd have to bring money in from overseas to do it. So am I effectively suffering double taxation? Well, that point has been clarified, and that is certainly welcome. And as a result of uh, quite a lot of lobbying from the art world, um, they've made a statement that bringing in works of art to the UK for display will not be treated as a remittance. Uh, so useful clarification, but it doesn't go far enough because it still leaves in place the, the, the major changes to the tax treatment of offshore trusts, which I believe is the main outstanding point that non-domiciliaries will be unhappy about and may force them to leave the country. So if you are a foreigner and you are living here, and uh, what should you do in before April 6th to prepare for this if you've been here for more than seven years? Well, even if you haven't been here for more than seven years, d don't assume that just because I've only been here for a couple of years, I don't need to do anything because the offshore trust changes are going to come in on the 6th of April unless the government have a sudden change of heart. The message in planning terms is that you should look at all the assets of your trusts and, and, and seriously consider triggering any gains within those assets before the 5th of April. I mean, it may make sense in some cases to, to, to transfer all these assets out of trust. It may no longer make sense to hold assets in trust. That was Ellen Kelleher talking to Mike Warburton of Grant Thornton. And for full details of the tax rules, look out for Ellen's article in FT Money on the 16th and 17th of February. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on high-rate savings accounts from overseas banks. Before that, though, exchange-traded commodities. These stock market-listed investments have long made it possible to invest in oil, metals and agricultural products and profit from their rising prices. But what if oil prices start to come down, gold loses its luster and food price inflation abates? Well, now you can profit from falling commodity prices too. Um, John, you've been uh, looking at, uh, at this. How's it done? Well, <clears throat> I spoke to um, William Ryan from ETF Securities. They've just launched 66 of these new exchange-traded commodities, including both leveraged ones and shorting ones. So this is what he had to say. There are going to be two types of exchange-traded commodity, or ETC. 33 long leveraged, which give you two times the exposure to the underlying commodity or index. And then there are going to be 33 short securities, which give you a one-for-one -one, uh, inverse relationship, 
to the underlying index or commodity. So the leveraged ones would be if you were kind of bullish on commodities, and the shorting ones would be if you thought there was a downturn, presumably. Um, yes, very simply. If you want to apply leverage to a particular index or commodity, then you can do that two times leverage through the ETC. Um, if you want to preserve capital, of course, with the two times leverage, it costs you half as much capital to get the same exposure as 100% of the long. Um, similarly, on the short side, if you have a bearish view on a particular commodity, you can implement that using the short securities. And in bringing out short ETCs, is that, that to an extent reflecting the kind of concern that the commodity cycle might be coming to an end? It, it's not a concern that the commodity cycle is coming to an end. What the short platform does is it provides investors with access to a different uh, return dimension for commodities markets. Now, of course, the fundamentals, you know, we're still um, believers in the fundamental story for commodities, but some of those commodity groups will go up and some will go down. And what the short platform does is allow investors to take advantage of any particular commodities which they're bearish on. And I believe that you can do things called pairs trades with the, with the short ETCs. That's right. I think um, the one of the, the probably the main application for the short ETCs, as far as ETF securities are concerned, is going to be for clients who are looking to hedge out particular portfolio exposures or to implement things like pairs trades. Now, currently in the market, there's not really an efficient way of going short on the commodities or the commodity indices. And this product gives you that. It also enables um, long-only investors who buy commodity companies to be able to hedge out some of the commodity risk in there. It also very simply means that investors can put on pairs trades if they are more favorable towards the commodity companies or more favorable towards the um, commodities themselves. So if, if you were very bullish on a particular sector, say a mining sector, you thought that the mining sector would outperform the underlying metal, you could short the the gold or the silver or platinum or whatever the particular metal for that relevant sector was and go long the equities. Vice versa, if you thought that the stocks were going to underperform, you could go long the actual metal and short the ETC or ETF basket um, of mining stocks. Okay, and there there are some phrases which commodity investors may come across backwardation and contango, referring to kind of future, the future price and the current price. Could you unpack that for us, please? Yes, certainly. A backwardation contango refers to the shape of the futures curve in commodity markets. So when a market is in contango, the price of the futures contracts is higher in the future than it is today. So if you think about today being the spot price of the, the value of the generic one-month futures contract... If the market's in contango, futures contracts for delivery um, for future dates, the price is higher than it is today. Now, backwardation is the opposite of this. So prices in the future are lower than they are today. So therefore, if a market's in backwardation, every time you roll your futures position, you earn a little premium on the roll because for the same amount of exposure, it's costing you less and less and less whereas in contango it's the opposite way around. William Rhines of ETF Securities there. Um, so, John, uh, these shorting uh, exchange-traded commodities uh, I mean it's possible to, to make money 
uh, if and when commodity prices fall. But it's always been possible to do that um, using spread bets, hasn't it? That's right. You can use spread bets, futures, options, contracts for difference, a number, a number of different ways. But what, one of the advantages of ETFs is that they're exchange-traded. People buy them like, like shares through a stockbroker. You don't have to go to a specialist broker to use them. And you can't lose more than the, the amount of money you put into them. Whereas with a spread bet, if the market keeps rising and, you, and you're short, short of the market, you could make an almost unlimited loss unless you've set a stop loss in it or order in place. So there is, there is this sort of margin of, of safety there. Although, um, Steve, do you think the average private investor is in a position to take a view on commodities prices and, and, and try to trade short-term falls? Well, quite, Matthew. I mean, it's only recent years that people have started want hearing and wanting to believe the commodity story you know this is part of the emerging market story the china you know endless consumption of all these commodities so now if private investors are being asked to take a view on when that commodity story is over not just taking a view saying i no longer want to participate in it but actually saying i'm going to bet on some of these things becoming a bubble and i think it's fair to say that um while there is has been a broad commodities boom there have been big differences within individual um commodity market uh, commodity prices and there are often a lot of technical factors as well that drive individual commodity prices you know for example not saying specifically but gold i think might be very different from soya beans and pork bellies and all the rest of it so i mean my question is isn't this just one step removed for many private investors. And John, I suppose one other factor is um, those commodities on which a private investor may be able to take a, uh, a view, say the oil price or perhaps even, perhaps even gold, uh, the spreads on spread bets you know, between the, uh, the price at which you can, you can buy or sell a bet are really quite narrow. So the costs are low and competitive with exchange-traded commodities. But it's uh, exchange-traded commodities only really come into their own in terms of cost in the more weird and wonderful things like corn or soybeans, as, uh, uh, as Steve was suggesting. So um, do you think they'll, they'll take off? William Ryan explained to me that the, the, the areas that are most popular with investors at the moment are agricultural commodities and the precious metals because they're seen as being less correlated and more defensive. And there is a worry that base metals could, could, could fall if global growth falls. But so far, the, the correlation is broken and markets are down, but the, the base metals have gone up. It is, it is a more esoteric market, so you could just use a commodities fund to take general exposure. But if you, if you do want to dabble, then why not? And if you do want to double, um, how do you do it? Just through a stockbroker, just like you'd buy or sell a share? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all listed on on the London Stock Exchange. You can find fact sheets on the London Stock Exchange website, which is londonstockexchange.com, and, and off you go. Well, sounds sounds very easy. But if you'd like to know uh, more details before you take the plunge, uh, you can read an article all about these exchange-traded commodities in the Investors Chronicle on sale from the 15th of February. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on savings accounts. Um, now, Steve, um, as the old saying goes, uh, I thought the only reason that uh, Mum went to Iceland was to buy fish fingers. But apparently, um, going to Iceland can deliver what, better interest rates on your money? Well, we, what we're seeing at the moment, Matthew, despite now we've had two base rate reductions in recent months, and there will be a one or two more, um, notwithstanding Mervyn King's comments about um, inflation worries. We're in an, an environment where interest rates are coming down. Despite that, there's a hell of a lot of competition for savings out there, credit squeeze, uh, general competition, 
But one of the issues as well has been this kind of influx of, of foreign banks, and including many from Iceland with names like Kaupthing and Icesave. Um, so some of these are, many of these are in the actual, the best buy tables, um, typically internet banks and so on, but, but currently offering 6% plus when base rates, of course, have come down to 5.25. So that's the good news, that despite a falling base rate environment, you can still get some fantastic rates on savings and even better on fixes, of course, which, of course, would protect you from further cuts in rates. The bad news, of course, the bad news generally is that most savings rates are coming down. Um, and after last, um, last week's base rate cut, um, you are going to see most savings rates come down in the next few weeks. And we're probably going to see further cuts and so on. Um, the, one question for savers as well is, do they want to entrust their savings to overseas banks? Perfectly reasonable question. Number one, they should be properly registered if they're advertising in August publications like the FT and so on. Um, but as we saw last year with the run on Northern Rock, even regulated, supposedly big uh, or big and supposedly stable banks can face runs and so on. Now, what would happen in a compensation situation? The government's increased the compensation safety nets. So your first £35,000 is protected. So maybe one answer is only have £35,000 with any institution that's regulated in the UK. But there's a further tweak or quirk in these foreign banks. Many of them are, have a kind of almost dual registration, dual regulation system, whereby if, the, if they did go down, if they did go bust, then compensation, um, the UK compensation authorities would first turn to the domestic, in this case the Icelandic banking authorities, for the first lump of money. So the net effect could be that even though £35,000 is protected under the UK system, UK savers are protected to that degree, um, it could take longer to get your money back. And, of course, furthermore, um, there's perhaps possibly a bigger risk. You know, plenty of readers out there will have more substantial sums than £35,000. So unless you're prepared to spread them around banks, your £100,000 in a bank going bust could be at risk. Now, and the big question, of course, is are Icelandic banks any more risky than other banks? Well, who knows is one answer in the credit squeeze. Um, the market says um, they have additional risks, um, but um, do they have any greater risks than, than other banks? So do you, do you really want to have to get on a, a plane, fly to Reykjavik and stand on a freezing cold pavement for several days to get your, to get your money out? Um, uh, John, that, 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 that's painting a very stark picture of what the risks might be. I mean, how realistic you know, do you think these are? I mean, would you put your money in an Icelandic bank? I'd, I'd be tempted to. Well, I don't, I don't really have any money. You'll have to pay me more. But, I mean, I think, I think there's a degree, degree of xenophobia about this. I mean, there might be an issue with dealing with people on helplines, potentially, if, if you have accent problems. But, um, basically, as long as a company is registered, is regulated by the Financial Services Authority, then you're protected 35,000. And uh, there's an article in the current, in, in the forthcoming Investors Chronicle um, about, about all this. And if there, if there are listed at moneyfacts.co.uk, which is probably the best site for savings in, in the UK. Um, everything everything that's, that's listed there is FSA regulated, so you, sh you should be on safe ground as long as you stick to this 35,000 limit. Well, clearly, um, uh, you, you, you pays in your money and, uh, and takes your choice, and uh, you've got two choices of where to get further information on this. There's an article in Investors 
Chronicle, which is on sale from the 15th of February, and Steve's um, article uh, on savings and uh, overseas banks is in FT Money on sale on the 16th and 17th of February. But uh, that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember, you can uh, email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from steve and john goodbye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.